0: for the reading of God's Word, on which the sermon is based and is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, 1 to 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him... The word of the Lord. Please be seated. A pastor wrote about his experience visiting Disneyland with his family. And he pondered the sign at the entrance that reads, Welcome to the happiest place on earth. So the the rest of, That day, he was looking at the faces of the people who were in Disneyland. And he was actually impressed by the small number of people who were actually smiling during their visit to Disneyland. I don't know if you have uh, been there, but there's a lot of stress um, when you visited that place, especially if you have to queue for a long time. And then he wrote this. When I thought of that day, I was reminded of a line from an old song that says, Life goes on long after the thrill of living is gone. Or, in the words of another person, a philosopher called David Toro, he wrote, Humans live lives of quiet desperation. Quiet desperation. And if we are honest to ourselves, brothers and sisters, of all the truths in the Bible that we read, this is perhaps the one that we doubt the most. Can I be living an abundant life? Is it even possible to live an abundant life in this world? This artwork is drawn by um, uh, Sam and it, it, it depicts this cup that is overflown and that's supposed to be our life but that's is that is that even possible years ago the late uh, david paulson he wrote this anti Psalm 23 and i want you to uh, read this with me the anti psalm 23 in the next uh, slide when it um, is on a screen. I am on my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need. Nothing's quite right. I'm always restless. I'm easily frustrated and often disappointed. It's a jungle. I feel overwhelmed. It's a desert. I'm thirsty. My soul feels broken, twisted, and stuck. And I can't fix myself. I stumble down some dark paths. Still, I insist. I want to do what I want, when I want, how I want. But life is confusing. Why don't things ever really work out? I'm haunted by emptiness and futility, shadows of death. I fear the big hurt and final loss. Death is waiting for me at the end of every road, but I'd rather not think about that. I spend my life protecting myself, bad things can happen. Uh, Next slide, please. Where am I? Um, I spend my life protecting myself, bad things can happen. I find no lasting comfort. I am alone, facing everything that could hurt me are my friends really friends other people use me for their own ends and I can't really trust anyone no one has my back no one is really for me except me and I'm so much all about me sometimes is sickening next slide I belong to no one except myself my cup is never quite full enough I am left empty disappointment follows me all the days of my life Will I just be obliterated into nothingness? Will I be alone forever, homeless, free-falling into void? Sartre said, hell is for other people. And I have to add, hell is also myself. It is a living death, and then I die. I don't know to what extent you can relate to that. And maybe you said to yourself, I'm not like, that person so desperate you know, I have job, I have a reasonably comfortable life. life is good for me and no complaints. But do you think that even with such a life, yours is filled with mundane, boring routines that you'd never thought that you're going to have that abundant life. It's almost like this. Fish in beautiful fish tank. I don't know if you ever seen a huge fish tank with beautiful fish swimming around in that uh, fish tank. That expensive, beautifully crafted, crafted fish tank. But you know what? They are stuck, stuck in that expensive tank. They're going nowhere except they um, chase each other, kill each other, hoping someone will pay attention and feed them. If that's what you feel, friends, I want you to listen carefully this morning. Jesus said that he came to enable us to live life to the fullest. Listen again to what he said in verse 10. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He came so that we could experience life to the full, not according to the standards of a fallen world, but life as it was intended to be by our Creator. It is life according to the designs, to the desires of the Creator of life. So this morning, if you think to yourself, I'm interested to know, and more importantly, to have that abundant life. Let's think about that abundant life in three subcategories. The first one is what it is not. Uh, Next slide, please what it is and how to get it, right? What it is not, what it is, and how to get that abundant life. Let's go to the first one, what it is not. And in the next slide, uh, you will see various uh, um, transliterations of that uh, first ten. And I, I always wondered, you know, when I grew up as young Christian, What is it that Jesus really meant when he said what he said in John 10.10? And I came to give this abundant life. And here are some of the ways Bible translators try to understand that. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, ESV. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's an IV. I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance. And then... In bracket, and this is a literal translation from Amplified Version, and have it in abundance to the full, till it overflows. I came so that they have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of, the message. And finally, I came to bring them life, and far more life than before. It's by J.B. Phillips. So what does it mean, though, after all these uh, versions of uh, all the Bibles, perhaps more than we need, all these uh, Bible versions? What does it mean? Well, let me tell you what it is not. Because a lot of preachers, when they preach John 10.10 about abundant life, what they have in mind is health and wealth. You know, good health, abundant financial wealth, And in our natural minds, we have reduced this bountiful Jesus life to the things that we think matter most, like riches, material possessions, and social status. But friends, Jesus did not promise a pain-free existence with paradise on earth. What he promised is that he would return for us and take us to this blissfully restored Eden. And until that day, we live in this fallen world where sin abounds. So having the abundant life is not about getting the best of what this wicked world offers. But having an abundant life is experiencing supernatural peace, hope, joy, love, despite all those difficult circumstances. That's why we do not live our best life here on earth. John MacArthur once observed the only people who get their, their best life now are those who are headed for hell. If you think that this world gives you your best life now, you are headed for hell. Why? Because the best is actually yet to come. In the restored Eden, in a new heaven and new earth. So it's not health and wealth and it's not just simply eternal eternal life either. When Jesus said, I give you abundant life, it's not about just eternal life because to live life to the fullest is qualitatively different than merely existing forever. What's the point of living forever if you do not enjoy that particular long life? See, the Greek word for the word abundant is perisos, from the word peri, which means around, all around, over and above. It means abundance, it means out of the ordinary, it means an extraordinary life, beyond measure, beyond regular life, beyond what is anticipated, it exceeds our expectations, it's going past the expected limit. These are the meanings of the word perisos is the life with capital L. Perisos is the root word of what Paul said in Ephesians 3, 20. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. So that's something that God can do. Who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ever ask or think? That's what we're gonna have. So that's not what it is. It's not health and wealth, um, material possessions, and all that. It's not about just everlasting life. So what what is it then? Let's let's look at the second point. What is abundant life? The first one that we can deduce from this text that we just read, it is a life known to Christ. The next slide, please. Life known to Christ. This is the picture behind pasture. In John 10, uh, verse 9, Jesus said, if anyone enters by me, because he's the door, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. There's this is green pasture where you can find solace and comfort and food It's all there. It's not pointing to having abundance of material goods, but rather to the soul satisfaction. The soul satisfaction that comes when you know that Jesus is your shepherd, and more importantly, you are known by Christ, the shepherd of your soul. Read again with me, verse three and four. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out when he has brought out all his own. He goes before them and the sheep follow him and they know his voice. Now let me unpack that verse a little bit in the context of first century uh, uh, Palestina. In the Middle Eastern uh, context at the time, in the next slide, you can see a picture of a sheepfold. I, I have a a few beautiful slides which I painstakingly prepared to help you appreciate the kind of picture that Jesus used. And in fact, throughout the scripture, the the picture of a shepherd, of a flock, of this green pasture, it's everywhere throughout the scripture. But let me just uh, direct your attention to this Middle Eastern sheepfold, which is a very simple structure, a stone wall about three meters high, Surrounded the sheepfold and there is one opening that serves like the door uh, as the door and, and there was one large uh, Central uh, central sheepfold for the entire community because you imagine this this uh, farmers in the village They're not rich. So they have to share this sheepfold with other farmers other shepherds See at nightfall the shepherds in the village will bring their small individual flocks and lead them into the, this, this big uh, communal sheepfold. And the shepherds combine their resources and they would pay a gatekeeper as a paid servant. And his job is to stay with the sheep during the night and stand guard. In the morning, the gatekeeper opens the gate to those who are truly shepherds whose sheep were enclosed in the sheepfold. And when a shepherd entered the sheepfold, the sheep of all the local flocks were mixed, right? You do not know who this sheep belongs to. Is it, uh, does it belong to uh, shepherd A or shepherd B, you know, Mr. Smith or Mr. John? We do not know. But this is what uh, is interesting. The sheep recognizes the voice of their shepherd and then runs to their shepherd. So a good shepherd is so intimately involved with the care and nurture of his sheep that he had names for them, and he would call them one by one by their names. And their sheep followed them because they knew their shepherds. And Jesus used this particular illustration over and over again in the Gospels, to speak about his relationship to those that the Father had given him, to those who are believers. This teaches that Christ knows you and I, believers, and we know him, recognize his voice, and then follow him. This is the two-way knowledge that is so essential. On the other hand, Jesus gave a dreadful warning at the end of the Sermon on the Mount when he said, Many will say to me in the day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Essentially, he's saying, You are not my sheep if you do not know me and if I do not know you. See, I want you to picture, and actually there's a YouTube video which you can um, see for yourself, not now, but after the service, and it's entitled, Do Sheep Only Obey Their Master's Voice? They actually know the voices of their shepherd. I would imagine, you know, the shepherd in uh, um, Jesus' day, uh, they, would, they would call inky, blinky, stinky, finky, tinky, minky, you know, all these names that are given to these sheep. And then there's someone called Bob, obviously. And, and they would know the voice of their shepherd. And three times in John chapter 10, Jesus said that his sheep hear his voice. They not only recognize the voice of their shepherd, but they also recognize and ignore the voices of the false teachers, these thieves and robbers who deny Jesus Christ. So friends, that's the abundant life that Jesus was talking about. You are known by Christ. All your sins, all your weaknesses, all your limitations that many people do not know, but you are known by Christ and yet he still loves you. And then you hear his voice as well. Can you imagine to be known by the most individual person in the entire universe and being loved so deeply by him. The second uh, clue that we have about abundant life from these verses is uh, the next uh, slide, a life secure in Christ. So not only are we are known um, by Christ, but we are secure in Christ. You know, in the Old Testament, a lot of uh, the prophets that uh, God sent also speak about the same thing, about this, this huge metaphor around shepherds and flocks of God and so on. Isaiah, for example, in 40, uh, f- chapter 40, verse 11, uh, wrote this. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms. And then the verse continues, he will carry them in his heart. See, that's the picture up there. Jesus carries the young ones, the vulnerable ones, those with limitations, those who are clueless, close to their hearts, to his hearts. He took special attention and care uh, to those who need them. I don't know whether this uh, kind of uh, images move you, but it did move me. And I thought I was that lamb who needed special attention when I ignored him for many, many years before I came to Christ. And it was me who was held close to Jesus' heart. When my uh, auntie, when I was really young, my auntie wanted me to go to church and said, nope, I'm, I'm not interested. And he gave me a picture very similar to this, like a track, you know, the gospel track in the, in the old days. And I still kept it uh, um, somewhere in my uh, home in Surabaya. If, if it's still there. But I always remember uh, this picture It, it, it has this um, vivid memory I, I ignored the picture I just put it away somewhere But that, that striking image Of Jesus holding uh, a helpless lamb Close to his heart I couldn't get rid of that uh, image And I want it to stay in my head For the rest of my life Because that was me and this morning, maybe it's you. The other thing that I want to mention here is that why does he compare us to sheep? All of us are like sheep, said Isaiah. All we like sheep have gone astray. Uh, I want you to know, friends, uh, the reason why the Bible uh, call us sheep, the flock of God, is because there are, Interesting characteristics of sheep that we should know, right? I may have uh, discussed this with you before, but let me um, repeat again these points because I think they are important. In the next slide, uh, you can see that there are three characteristics at least, three characteristics of sheep, right? Uh, I call them 3D sheep. They are dumb, directionless, and defenseless. Now, don't take offense at me because this is what God thinks Right? When he thinks of us, we are dumb, we are directionless, we are defenseless. You know, uh, sheep are dumb. If there is one sheep wandered off the cliff, the other 1,499 sheep will just follow along to their death. They are directionless. They are prone to wander. If you um, release one sheep, in the middle of Burke Street and Elizabeth Street, they will not be going home. They will just be uh, hit by a trap, literally. And they are defenseless. They have no claws, no fangs, no venom, no talons. They couldn't fly. They don't have a posture. You know, uh, uh, dogs will bark and growl and show their teeth to warn you away. A lion will roar. A rattlesnake will shake his rattle, a cat will arch his back and hiss. The best that a sheep can do is making this funny sound, and then they run away or die. So what does a sheep do when danger comes? When a bear approaches, the sheep will gather with others in a pack, and then they will run in circles in complete panic, just hoping that the bear will choose someone else. Not me, him. That's what they're going to do. So to say that God is our shepherd and we are his sheep is really to humble ourselves at admitting what is true about us, that we are absolutely helpless without him. We are absolutely helpless without Jesus, the shepherd of our souls. So when we say the Lord is my shepherd, you're saying that something is so necessary in my life for him to be my shepherd. The other fact that I want you to uh, pay attention to about this uh, sheep is that there's this thing that uh, all shepherds know. We don't because we live in the city. We are modern contemporary people. We never go to um, um, farms unless uh, we go to this special event that we uh, see in Melbourne city, right? But there's this thing called cast down sheep. The next slide uh, shows that. In this classic book, A Shepherd Look at Psalm 23, the author Philip Keller, nothing to do with Tim Keller, Philip Keller gives a striking picture of the care and gentleness of a shepherd towards cast down sheep. Just to illustrate Psalm 23, verse 3, when David said, he restores my soul. See, this ship, this cut-down ship, fall over on their side and onto their back, and it's so difficult, almost impossible for them to get up again. They fail, uh, uh, flail their legs in the air, they bleed and they cry, and after a few hours on their back, gas begins to collect in their tummies, and their tummies hardens, and the air passage is cut off, and the ship will eventually suffocate, And die in a matter of hours unless somebody actually helped them to tip them over (laughs) back on their feet. Now when a shepherd does that, what they do, they reassure the sheep, they massage its legs, they restore the circulation and gently turn the sheep over, lifts it up and holds it so that it can regain its equilibrium. That's the picture. That's the picture of what God wants to do for us. When we are on our backs, we are cast down because of our guilt, our grief, our grudges. Our loving shepherd reassures us with his grace and lifts us up and hold us until we gain our spiritual equilibrium. And friends, what's interesting is that the sheep that are usually cast down are the fat ones, are the most healthy ones, are the ones with the uh, thickest fleece. What does it mean is that because of their great condition, it is, in fact, because of their great condition, they lie on their side to sleep and then they got stuck and they can die in a matter of hours. See, we can be having so comfortable um, life that we end up being more in danger than we realize because we forget God. We rely on our experiences and resources instead of God, and we need him to tip us over, restore our confidence, joy, and strength. So an abundant life is a life known by Christ, a life that is secure in Christ, nourished by his grace, including when we are failing. Now the last point the third point, how to get it. How to get this abundant life? Well, not by doing more for Jesus, bribing God for your moral performance, because that is exactly what the Pharisees did in Jesus' day. And in John 10, Jesus called them thieves and robbers. It doesn't refer this, this phrase, thieves and robbers, to the false messiahs or to the devil. Thieves and robbers refer to the religious leaders of Jesus' day. If you look at the context, in chapter nine of John's uh, gospel, Jesus was having a very heated debate with the Pharisees about, about this man born blind. The man born blind who was eventually excommunicated, casted out by these religious leaders Rejecting, uh, rejecting him as the sheep of uh, the flock of God because these false shepherds were self-righteous shepherds and they drew people astray from the true knowledge of God. So the way we get abundant life is not by trying to follow these religious codes and uh, uh, moral performances. Listen to what uh, Tim Keller once wrote about the difference between the true shepherd, and the false shepherd. In the next slide, religion says, earn your life. You know, earn your life so that you can get this abundant life, the blessings of God. The secular world says, create your life. Don't care about what other people say about you. Create your own life. Build your own life as whatever you want it. And Jesus is different. He exchanged his life for ours. So, friends, how do you get the abundant life? A life of freedom, fulfillment, and fruitfulness that is overflowing with love, joy, and peace. The abundant life is in Jesus and only in him. He is the only shepherd who's also the Lamb of God. He is the shepherd who dies for his sheep. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John 10, 11, which we did not read in the beginning. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. See, other shepherds will ask you to give your lives to them without doing anything. But Jesus is different because he did not only raise his life for you, but he lays it down in line with the Father's will. And only then we realize we do need Him. If we want to have abundant life, and then after that, and only after that, we want to surrender our lives completely to Him who loves us first. What is abundant life? If you ask Matthew Henry, a well-known pastor, this is the answer that he gave to, to his friend when he was on a deathbed 1714, age 52. He had suffered the loss of his first wife and his three children. He was relatively young. He could have complained about his early, untimely death, but this is what he said about abundant life it is a life spent in the service of God, it is a life spent in communion with Him. That is the most comfortable life, the most pleasant life that one can live in the present world. That's what he said. Contentment is not having everything that you want. Contentment is wanting everything that you have. And if the Lord is your shepherd, you live with that abundant contentment. Friends, if you are not yet a Christian today, if your life has reached a crescendo of difficulties and pain, the great shepherd of the sheep can provide you with life that is abundant and joyful and meaningful beyond what most people could only dream about. Jesus can provide you with things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man. All of those things that God has prepared for those who love him. So when I started before with this anti-Psalm 23 from uh, David Paulison, you can change that story. That shouldn't be your life story. It only becomes your reality when you construct your reality from a lie. A lie that says you are the center of your life. But it's not you, friends. It's Jesus. And he will not go away even though you have rejected him so many times because he is the great I am. He, he was and is and will be whether, whether or not you acknowledge him. And when you awaken, you see who Jesus actually is. You experience his care and you know that he loves you. So this is Psalm 23 that I want you to read with me together. Let's, let's read it in the next slide, Psalm 23. 3 4. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my souls. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Next slide. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, this psalm talks about Jesus. He's the one who walked the valley of of the shadow of death. He faced the very evil of death for you and me. He is the one who restores your soul. He leads you in the, in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I want to close this sermon by showing you yet another picture and the last picture, the last slide that I have. I was stunned when I first uh, saw this picture. Because again, that's, that's me a long time ago when I ran away from God. It's taken from Matthew 18, 20. If a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? Maybe that sheep that has gone astray is you. And Jesus is currently searching for you and he wants you to be found he wants you to be known he wants you to feel secure in him, he wants you to have that abundant life would you respond to him and say Lord here I am let's pray